It's an Ahum Siegel Network, and we are so happy and proud that the By the Book segment is back. It is a uh, presentation of Koren Publications. We remind everybody that they can go to, uh, you can go uh, to the web at korenpub.com. That's K-O-R-E-N-P-U-B uh, dot com to uh, see the latest and greatest that Koren has to offer publications. Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler is editor at Magid Books and serves, ch- serves as chairman of the editorial board of Koren Publishers. In addition, Rabbi Ziegler is a founder of Yeshivat Haaretzion's Israel Kashitsky Virtual Beit Midrash and serves as its editor-in-chief. He was a close disciple of both Rabbi Yehuda Amital and Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein at Yeshivat Haaretzion. He's a scholar on the writings of Rabbi Soloveitchik. His book, Majesty and Humility, the Thought of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, was published in 2012. Uh, the editor of Magid's new book, When God is Near on the High Holidays, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Amital, and um, Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler is the uh, editor. Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler, Shana Tova, and welcome to the Nahum Siegel Network. Shana Tova. An honor to speak with you. I guess uh, the first question I have, this uh, some people may have referred to it as a, um, as a myth or something that um, is hard to understand. Myth is probably a terrible word, or something difficult to understand. Is, in fact, as the title suggests, God closer, more near when it comes to the time of the high holidays? Well, the the pasuk says, "Dirshu Hashem b'Himatzo, Kra'u b'Atokarov." You should seek God when He's near and call out to Him uh, when He's near to us. And the Gemara says, "When is He near to us?" It says, "These are the days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur." So, uh, in what sense is God nearer to us? He's 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 there to hear our prayers. He's there. To, to listen to our requests, as long as they come, as Rav Amital always used to quote, he said, Karov Hashem l'chol korav, God is near to everyone who calls him, but l'chol asheri k'uhu be'emet, whoever calls him with truth, with sincerity, with authenticity, from the depth of the heart, with no faking. So there is uh, there's a closeness at all times, there is a potential for closeness at all times, but there's something extra special about the days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim. Yes, yes, uh, the, the Rambam also mentions it in Hilchot Shuva. Um, once I heard, actually, an interesting explanation from uh, Rav Lichtenstein, who was Rav Amital's uh, partner for four decades, yeah. uh, where he said that, that, you know, during the whole year, we have a mitzvah of Shuva, like you did something wrong, so you should try to improve it, and that's true 365 days a year. But there's a special dimension, because on the Aseret Yimei Shuva, God is particularly near to us, and these are particularly weighty days and, and, you know, destiny-filled days, he said, in those days, we shouldn't just do tshuva for, you know, I spoke too much Russian Hara, I didn't do this, I wasn't careful about brachot, not for specific things, but we should really take stock of where we're going, who we are, who we want to be, our whole path. So because God is near to us, on the one hand, he's more available to answer our heartfelt prayers. On the other hand, it also requires us to do real deep soul-searching and, you know, not just to fix specific problems, but to look at the big picture. I think that also helps us understand Chodesh Elul, because if we're going to take those 10 days as seriously as it's recommended, we really do need a serious preparatory time for that. Oh, yeah, and there's nothing better than the shofar to wake you up to that. So, you know, we hear the shofar every day for the month, you know, before us, Eric Yimei for that exact reason. How did this book? How did this book evolve? We know that Rav Amital is gone for a number of years already. How did it evolve that now it's being released? Well, what was interesting was that Rav Amital passed away five years ago at the age of eighty-five, 
And uh, his son was going through his, his drawers, you know, his cabinets, his drawers, and he found, usually, Rav Amital, when he would speak, he would speak extemporaneously or just from, you know, he would jot down some notes. But he found a whole stack in his drawer of speeches for the Amim Noraim. <clears throat> because Rav Amital, uh, he, not only was he for, for 40 years the Shliach Tibor on Yom Noraim, but he also would get up and give Sichot at the most charged moment. You know, he would give a Sicha right before Shofar blowing. He would give a Sicha right before Ni'ilah. And those were so crucial to him. He wanted to get it exactly right. He wanted to be able to touch people, you know, at the deepest core of their feelings. So those he would actually write out in advance. And his son had no idea. <coughs> so that's really the core of this book, these um, writings that his son found. In addition to that, uh, you know, we had uh, students would summarize things from memory afterwards. We also had a lot of uh, speeches that he would give before Slichot, and those were recorded. Those were on weekdays, um, on Mothe Shabbos, we would give. And uh, so, so those we would transcribe, and, and they appear in the book also. Do you mind sharing with us something, a small tidbit of what he would say now <laughs> during Slichos Week? Of what he would what? What he would say now during Slichos Week. Uh, yeah, he had a couple of themes that he would come back to in Slichos. There were a couple of lines that spoke to him very much. Uh, he would always speak about... Uh, that we knock Hashem's door... Like, like paupers. Uh, he would also, he would, uh, as I said, he would talk about, uh, he would talk about, uh, we always say, in Slichot, so he would ask, what does this mean? Like, why are we paupers knocking at God's door? Why are we, you know, why, why do we have Boshet Apanim? Why should we be embarrassed before God? So he said that there's, there's a big distance between, usually between who we think we are. We have this very inflated self-image. But when we come before Hashem, we have to come to Him as we are. And suddenly we realize there's a big gap between who we think we are and who we really are. And, and, and that's what we have to try to grasp through Slichot. Um, he would speak about, you know, he would say, we think, you know, here we are gathered Slichot. We're really great. We're here at midnight. You know, <laughs> more power to us. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We do mitzvot. We learn Torah. You know, what's there to do tshuva for? So they say, no, we all have to think, okay, yeah, you do mitzvot, but do you do them with, with enough, is there, is there inner correspondence between what you're doing and what you're feeling? How much depth of experience do you have when you're doing a mitzvah? And are we menschlich enough to everyone around us? Are we kind enough? Just simple things. So he would say, when you think about all these things, it's not, you know, you can't just say, great, I learned in yeshiva, I'm a good person. You know, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't stolen, so there's nothing for me to do too before. We say, no, we are Dalim Virashim. You know, we come with very little. We have to come to Hashem and say, you know, you're right. We don't have enough experience of mitzvot. We don't have enough joy of mitzvot. We're not kind enough. We don't go out of our way enough for others. And these were some of the themes that he would come back to all the time. So we hope that Slichot uh, basically increases our humility. Yeah, yeah, he would, he said, uh, he told the story of a Hasidic Rebbe who, um, used to always illustrate his points with lots of stories. He had an endless store of stories. Mm. Uh, so he said, you know, uh, Hasidic Rebbe, so a, a, a pauper came to him and he spoke to him for a couple of minutes and he gave him some advice and he left. And then a rich man came in and, and he stayed there for two hours 
and then he left. And then the poor man came in and he said, what, you know, I get five minutes and he gets two hours? What's that about? So the Rebbe said, no, you don't understand. You walked in, you know that you're a pauper. I can talk to you directly. We can talk about, you know, what advice, what you can do. He said it took him two hours to realize that he's a pauper also. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What a a lesson. What a lesson. Rabbi Rubain Ziegler is with us. The book is called When God is in the Air in the High Holidays, uh, Rabbi Huda Amital's work, edited by Rabbi Ziegler. Was he actually? Well, let me let me just correct that. It was edited by his son, Rabbi Yoel Amital, ah. and I helped put it out in English. Understood, so. understood, and I thank you for that. Um, was he in yeshiva for the high holidays? Was he there with you on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? He was there every year for for forty years. He was uh, he was there actually. You know, it was it was a big sacrifice. He lived in Yerushalayim. Right. And Rav Lichtenstein also lived in Yerushalayim. Right. And they would switch off every Shabbos. They had young, they had young children. They would come every other Shabbos to the Yeshiva Nalon Shrut. And then for all the holidays that Yeshiva was in session, uh, you know, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, uh, etc., uh, they would both be there with their families for the davening. And in fact, Rav Amital was really, I would say in some ways, he, he carried the whole davening on his shoulders. He, he was the Baal Tfila, on, you know, even in his old age, when he was, when he was around 80, <coughs> he still davened. He was the, the Shleach Tibor for Kol Nidre and for, and for Musaf and for Neila on Yom Kippur. And uh, he gave it his whole heart. He, he would daven with such sincerity, with such purity. He also had a good voice, and he also knew a lot of Nigunim. And, and uh, when, when you heard him daven, you know, he... We didn't mention this, but he was a Holocaust survivor. Right. He had been through a lot in his life. He was actually the only survivor of his entire family, um, and he, he fought in Israel's War of Independence. He had been through a lot in his life. And when he got out there, and he was davening for the Amod, it was and, and for a couple of years I sat in, in the row right behind him. So I was really close. And you could tell he wasn't even, at that point, he wasn't even davening for himself, for his own needs, for his own health, and so on. He was really davening for Am Yisrael. After what he'd been through, after what he'd seen, he really, on Rosh Hashanah, he would plead with such sincerity from the depths of his heart. And, like, people learned what true prayer is from him. He always used to quote, there's a, a Gemara, I think it's in Rosh Hashanah, where, uh, that, uh, that when Hashem taught Moshe, the Yud Gimel Nidot Hashem Hashem Kelachum B'chanun, it says that, Hashem wrapped himself in a talis, like a shleach tibor, and then he taught this to Moshe. And so, and the Gemara says, like, had it not, <coughs> had it not been written, we couldn't say such a thing. It's, all, it's almost blasphemous to say that Hashem wrapped himself in a talis and daven. But, uh, but it says, you know, that's how the, the Gemara darshans the Pasuk. <coughs> so, Rav Amital used to say that we have to imitate Hashem, we have to wrap ourselves in a talis, we have to Yes, we have to do tshuva, and we have to think about, you know, ourselves. But more than that, we have to be a shleach tibor. We have to submerge ourselves into the tibor. We have to daven for Am Yisrael. And that, that's really, you know, I can tell you to this day, five years after his passing, and, and for, for a couple of years, once I had my own kids, it was hard to daven in yeshiva, I would daven in the shul. But no matter who the chazan is, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, in my mind, I always hear Rav Amital davening. <laughs> wow. Like, 
Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur davening means Rav Amital to me. Rabbi Ruben Ziegler is with us. Um, when not to compare, not to compare, but when we, as casual observers of Jewish academia, when we think of Rav Aaron Lichtenstein of blessed memory, and we think of his uh, mentor, we of course think of his father-in-law, uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik. Uh, in the case of Rav Amital, is there one specific person or a specific influence that you could cite that uh, that, that helped bring Rav Amital, Rav Amital to this amazing level of Talmudic uh, scholarship? Uh, it's actually interesting. He, so he was a yeshiva bacher in Hungary. When he was 19, he was taken away by the Nazis. His education was obviously interrupted. He had a Rebbe who he was very attached to in his yeshiva in Hungary. His Rebbe, uh, Rebbe Chaim Yehuda Levi, uh, was actually a Hungarian uh, descendant of the Chassam Sofer who went to learn in Lithuania. And he brought back the methods of Lithuanian analysis to the Hungarian yeshiva world. He was very connected to his Rebbe. His Rebbe and his Rebbe's entire family were killed in the Shoah. In fact, Rav Amital said that uh, one of his duties when he was in a Nazi labor camp, they had to go back to the ghetto where he had lived, and they had to clean it out, whatever. They said he walked into his Rebbe's house, and he saw lying on the floor was his Rebbe's smicha that he had gotten from Reb Chaim Ozer and, and a couple of the other greats of Lithuania, and he just saw it lying there on the floor, along with Chidushim that he had written on various Masechot, and he said, like, I wish I could have saved them, hidden them, preserved them, but it was all lost. Um, so that was one Rebbe who was a great influence on him. Very surprisingly, after the Shoah, he went straight for Israel. Uh, he, had, he had made an oath to Hashem that if he would survive, he would go to Eretz Yisrael and learn Torah in Yerushalayim. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, and it was very rare in those days, actually, for young Holocaust survivors to go to yeshiva. I think he was the only one, one of the only ones in his yeshiva. He learned in the Hebron yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Um, and, when, and that was, you know, a very famous, what we would call today a Haredi yeshiva. And they asked him, like, what kept you yeshiva bacher after everything you've been through? And he was always an independent-minded person. Uh, he said... When he was taken away by the Nazis, he took two or three books with him. He, he took a Tanakh, he took a Mishnah, he couldn't take very much, and he said he took a book by Rav Kook. He said, I felt it would fortify me, it would strengthen me. And he said, Rav Kook is what kept me strong, uh, and, and what kept me Yeshiva Bacher. And, you know, that wasn't the answer they were looking for. Like, <laughs> he told it like it was. Uh, and, and eventually, he actually, even though he was completely penniless, from a family with no yichus, he had no relatives, he was orphaned, uh, you know, but he had such extraordinary personal qualities that he married the granddaughter of probably the greatest rabbin, one of the two greatest rabbinim in Israel at the time, uh, Rabitzer Zalman Meltzer. Right. So he also, you know, would uh, study privately with Rabitzer Zalman Meltzer, uh, and he was also very close to Rav Kook. Uh, he never met Rav Kook. Rav Kook died in 1935, when he was a boy, <clears throat> but he um, he was close with Rav Kook's very close disciple, uh, Rabbi uh, Harla. Uh, so those were those were his rebellion. I would say to a real to a great extent, you could call Rav Kook his rebbe, even though he never met him. But he had a very great influence on him through his writing. Amazing. Speaking to Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler, the book is called "When God Is Near" on the High Holidays by Rav Yehuda Amital. Uh, he has a, a, a big section on Rosh Hashanah, of course. We mentioned Elul. He has a big section on Slichos and Rosh Hashanah, and you include 
or his son includes, I should say, a big section on Yom Kippur. One of the chapters is entitled Fear and Joy. This might be one of the main themes that baffles all of us uh, at some point when it comes to Yom Kippur, the seriousness of the day, the fear, no doubt, of the day. We know it's being decided on that day. And then, of course, there are those, including the Rav, who referred to it many times as the happiest or most joyful day of the year. How does Rav, Rav Amital approach this balance? Well, aside from, you know, whatever you can say in terms of, you know, intellectually, it means this, it means that, you could really see it. You, you didn't have to talk about it. You witnessed it. You would see him davening on Yom Kippur. You would hear him get up at Neila, and and he wouldn't even speak his, his speech before Neila. He would be like in a semi-trance. He would be singing it. He would be talking about how the gates are closing. We have to open our hearts to Hashem. And you felt the fear and the trembling. And then the second Neila was over, and they blew the shofar, suddenly he would be so happy, so radiant, and the whole yeshiva would start dancing for like 10, 20 minutes. So, so the fear and the joy were there. The, the, you know, the, the fear of, of, of din, of divine judgment, but the joy on, on two levels. A, the joy that, you know, we hope that we've been cleansed, and also the joy that Hashem has a covenant with Am Yisrael that, you know, Individual, there are no promises for the individual. We'll be judged on our individual merits. But Hashem has a greet with Am Yisrael that Am Yisrael will, will come out, you know, will come out with a good judgment. Am Yisrael will always survive, no matter what. Yeah, and you, so, and you felt it. You felt it when you were there, that there was simply joy that, that many of us cannot express when it comes to the Yom Kippur. Right, yeah. You know, you don't need something, you don't need to talk about, you just, you see it, you live it, you just... It was just, it was so clear. You can't even articulate it sometimes. Was Neila, I mean, I, again, again, uh, you, you mentioned Neila. Um, is it much different than the rest of the day? We know how serious Neila is, and we know that, uh, again, you know, the, the fear only becomes greater, one would think, during that period of time at the end of Yom Kippur. But, th- but there is a, a great seriousness to the rest of the day as well. There is, but... but Somehow, as, as heightened as the intensity is the whole day, somehow there, it's really concentrated. It's just, it's the last second. This is your last chance. You know, I mean, we, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I was, uh, when my daughter was uh, about uh, four years old. So, you know, I didn't take her to shul for the whole day. But I brought her in at Neila, and I was davening in Yeshiva. And so, so she was sitting next to me, and... Rav Hamital was leading the davening, and all around me, people were, were literally, they were crying, they were, they were screaming, they were, you know, davening, Avinu Malkeinu, and, and she looked around me, and she said, uh, Abba, she said, why is everyone crying? So, so I said, because they want Hashem to forgive their sins. So she looked around, and she said, they must have been very bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> what does that teach us? <laughs> uh, well, it, it just shows you how how intense Neila is. Yeah. You know, Rav Lichtenstein used to say there's a piyut that that talks about Hashem gathering our tears and and keeping them, you know, before Him in a in you know in a bag, and uh, and he said, really, he said in our shul. 
how many tears are people shedding on 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 Yom Kippur? He felt mm-hmm. this was a big problem right. that people lacked the sense of the din. But you know, in his yeshiva, you could fill a very big bag with the tears, and it wasn't people putting on shows. Right. You know, it was really. I mean, you know, the people would cover themselves with their colleges, like you know, in imitation of Hashem. But uh, but you couldn't not be. You couldn't not realize what was going on when you had Rav Amital davening for the Amud and really like crying out to Hashem from the depths of his heart. Rabbi Ziegler, uh, you include, or I should say, Rav Amital's son includes in the um, in the book a very uh, big chapter on the binding of Isaac, a central theme, of course, of Rosh Hashanah, and there's so much to be said about Akedat Yitzchak and uh, its meaning, especially in light of the new year and our uh, and the fact that we read it and, and make it a central theme of the uh, holiday of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, among the the chapters um, is one called The Faiths of Isaac and Ishmael, and some of us were always fascinated by Rav Amital's approach uh, to both the Jewish people and the neighbors of the Jewish people, specifically in the Gush, because we know that uh, you know for for a while now, thank God it's uh, it's uh, much better. But for a while, it was a precarious situation for Jews in the Gush. What could you tell us about his perspective on us and other religions through that chapter? <coughs> Rav Amitara had a very interesting perspective on the Akeda. Uh, it was very important for him. Like he asked. There's a big problem, like, is, Avram is commanded to do this, you know, mind-boggling thing. And so he asks, is, is, is Avram a robot? Does he just do what he wants? So he says, if you look at our davening, we say, you know, right. So he said, where do we see in the Torah's description that it says, he who answered Avram Avinu, he who answered Avram's prayers on Haramoriah should answer us. We don't see him praying. But if you look in the Medrash, the Medrash talks about how Avram Avinu prayed, pleaded, begged Hashem. You see, Chazal are trying to tell us that you have to be a human being. You can't be a robot. You have to have human feelings. Yes, we'll obey Hashem, but, but we, you know, Avram did it with anguish, and that's what we're saying in our prayer, that he did daven to Hashem that the Akedah should be overturned. <coughs> so he said that this was a big theme in his thought in general that Hashem wants us to be human. Hashem wants us to be, you know, He wants us to be normal. He wants us to be human. He doesn't want us to be robots. He doesn't want us to be superhuman. He would always quote a vort of the Kotzka Rebbe, who quoted the Pasuk, the Anshe Kodesh to you and me. He said, you know, you should be holy people unto me. So Hashem is saying, I have enough angels. I want you to be Anshe Kodesh. I want you to be holy people. You shouldn't be holy angels. You should be holy people. And holy people have emotions. They have feelings. Sometimes they slip up, but then they can do tshuva. Uh, they're not perfect, uh, but, and and we should learn to accept that and to live with that, and not to try to act as if we're superhuman and angelic, because that's just setting us up to either be deluded or or, or to fail or to not live up to what we think we are. So, so the 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 sense of humanity was really a cornerstone of his thought of the message that he was trying to give, and he was. And he said that, unfortunately, we live in a world where our enemies, you know, they're not like Avram Avinu, where, it, you know, if you have a suicide bomber, his family celebrates him, they're happy for, you know, the mitzvah he did. And so he said, this is really, we have to understand what we're up against. You know, we, we love life. We're human. 
we're and 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 but we're up against some of our enemies. I mean, we should try to make peace with those with whom we can make peace. But we have to realize that that these people are giving the opposite message of Judaism. Wow, what a sometimes a difficult thing to keep both those things in mind at the same time. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, when God is near on the high holidays, Barav Yehuda Amital, we're speaking with Rabbi Ruvain Ziegler, our final minutes. I have to ask you, and I think last time you were with us, I believe you've been with us before, um, I think I asked you this. Uh, you're founder of Yeshivat Haratzion's Israel Kashitsky Virtual Beit Midrash. Why is your Virtual Beit Midrash a success that so many others would like theirs to be? Um, I'll tell you two reasons. First is that we have Rabbi Amital and Rabbi Lichtenstein. <laughs> And we're trying to bring their Torah to the world. That's first and foremost. So when you have two such world-class scholars, two real giants, I mean, I've met many impressive people in my life, but those two are simply giants. And I don't say this, you know, as someone who is uncritical. Having known them for decades, the better I knew them, the more I was impressed by them. Right, so that's, that's one thing. And, uh, and the second is that our niche that we try to fill is, not to provide Bortlach, not to provide, you know, nuggets, but to really, for those who want it, we try to provide in-depth learning in whether, you know, whatever field we're doing, but it should be, you know, accessible, understandable, but, but thorough and on a high level. And you can't read our shirim in two, three minutes. You know, you need to sit down for 10 minutes, but it'll give you, you know, I think one of our big contributions, for example, is in our Tanakh, in our Parsha stuff, the questions that no one else asks, what's the structure of a Parsha? What's the structure of a Sefer? So it's all there. Um, could I add just one thought about Rav Amital? Do we have time? Please do. I, you know, I, I, I recently wrote with a, a friend of mine, uh, Professor Yudha Mirsky from uh, Brandeis. Uh, he just wrote an excellent book on Rav Cook. So uh, Yeshiva University is putting out a book through Koran Magid going to come out within the next couple of months, about 10 great 20th century thinkers. Wow. Uh, and one of the 10 is Rav Amital. And Yehuda Mirsky and I wrote the article on Rav Amital, and we sat and re- researched, and we re- reread his writings. We wrote like a 30, 40-page paper with 100 footnotes, analyzing his philosophy, approach to life. And after all that research, still, I can tell you, I don't understand how a person could be so normal and so extraordinary, how he could be so simple and so complex, how he could be so contradictory yet so harmonious. And after all that I wrote, I have no explanation. He was really a unique person. Uh, it's a, an unbelievable way of putting it. I am so thrilled that during my life I had the opportunity to meet him, at least at, at least at the minimum, to meet him and have some encounters with him. Uh, Rabbi Ziegler, I have enjoyed this tremendously. Thank you so much for joining us. to you Thank you again. Shana Tova to you and all the listeners. Rabbi Ruben Ziegler, editor at Magid Books, serves as chairman of the editorial board of Koran Publishers, uh, plus he's founder of the Shivat Haaretzion Israel Kashitsky Virtual Beit Midrash and serves as editor-in-chief. Close disciple of both Rav Amital and Rav Aaron Luchtenstein in Shivat Haaretzion. Scholar on the writings of Rav Soloveitchik, his book, Majesty and Humility, the Thought of Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik, was published in 2012. Uh, the brand new book from Magid, and you can check it out at the Koren website, K-O-R-E-N-P-U-B, KorenPub.com. When God is near, on the high holidays, Rav Yehuda Amital. It is an amazing work, as Rabbi Ziegler helped to describe here during our By the Book segment. And I remind you, 
that right now Magid Books has a special for the new year. Brand new books by Rav Yehuda Amital, Rav Chaim Sabato, Rav Jonathan Sachs, Rav Adin Steinzaltz, Rav Benny Lau, all available now with specials for the new year. Check out the website and enjoy. And we are so thrilled that our Buy the Book segment is back here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I thank you all for listening and remind you that you can catch this program every single week at this time as we continue to explore the world of books and bring you some of the most incredible titles with our friends at Koran Publications. This is the Nahum Siegel Network. <laughs>